Okay, um, all right. Welcome to the uh, latest Art Eater podcast. I think this is number 14. Are we? Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Okay, we, yeah, we, this is, uh, this is exciting. We're, we're really getting, getting up there. Um, yeah, so if you are tuning back in from our last podcast, you'll know that, uh, we are doing a multi part, uh, dive into Guilty Gear. So uh, previously, we started with the very first Guilty Gear, followed that up with a podcast on Guilty Gear X, and then another one on XX. And um, today, I think uh, we're 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 gonna we're gonna be ambitious. We're gonna try to cover several games. So the the theme of today is um, we're gonna cover all the games between Guilty Gear XX and Exerd, right? So the theme of today is the uh, the 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 history of you know Guilty Gear the X series. And uh, the road to Exerd. All right, so um, yeah, let's let's jump right into it. Okay, so uh, when we finished last time, we we were talking about XX and uh, the um, that had like five uh, episodes. So XX, XX Reload, XS Slash, uh, Accent Core, Accent Core Plus Air. <laughs> I made it, and. Um, and uh, it spans a long time because it's 2002, 2012, those five episodes. But in the meantime, uh, a lot of things happened. And uh, among the, the, the notable um, episodes of the series, there's Guilty Gear Hezuka and Guilty Gear 2 Overture. So I think that's the, the two games we can uh, we, we will be discussing that leads to Excel. And the thing we we should definitely say before we and explain a bit why these, those games exist is related to Arc System Works editor at the time. So uh, maybe you remember that when they did uh, Guilty Gear X, it was uh, a company named Sami that asked them for yes. it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Sami was the editor and publisher for almost all this decade. And uh, Sami also created um, an arcade board that was called the Atomis Wave. And um, it was uh, a kind of Naomi, so the system where Guilty Gear was running, uh, but cheaper. Uh, so it was a plan to, you know, have a cheaper system that produced the same type of games. So that they, they asked to SNK to, to SNK for a King of Fighter, and of course they asked uh, Arc System Works for uh, a Guilty Gear episode. And um, so this episode is Izuka, and it came out in 2005, I guess, I suppose. And it's a pure mess <laughs> of a game. <laughs> Yeah. Because uh, Sami was kind of trying to, um, they, they had a plan that was to reach a wider audience with their arcade system. So they were trying to mix arcade uh, gameplay with more uh, and, and gave it a, a more broader appeal, I suppose. And so Gitigirizuka um, is a bit a mix of this plan and it didn't went. Uh, as well as they expected, I suppose. 
because we, we will probably talk about the gameplay uh, later, but the, 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 what we have to, to know for starter is that it's based loosely on Guilty Gear XX Reload, so the second episode of the XX series. So it takes all the sprites, all the movesets, uh, almost everything is the same. Uh, it just changes all the stages, all the soundtrack, all, the, all of the artwork. So that's it. I think that's a good introduction for the game. Have you played it? Because I relaunched it this afternoon and that was painful, to be honest. I, I, I share in your pain. I mean, I haven't played it recently, <laughs> right. but uh, the feeling is just as raw as it was many moons ago when uh, someone decided to show me this game because they thought I would like it because it's a Guilty Gear game, which you can't blame them for. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's it's an interesting experience, especially if you've played, especially if you've played Guilty Gear uh, for an extensive amount of time at this point. So you know, you hear a new Guilty Gear announced, you're like, oh, okay, what are they going to change? What are they going to do? And then somebody sits you down with it, and you're like, oh, they changed. This is not even a fighting game, really. Well, it's a fighting game, but in a different, I guess, definition. Um, it was kind of nice to see the collection of characters all kind of on the screen at once. Uh, you know, that, that was kind of neat. But, like, it was definitely a game of, like, I think I'll just watch it. <laughs> it uh, like, it I, sounds, sounds better when you say it out loud than actually experiencing it. Yeah, because it, it's, it's a beautiful game. And, I mean, it made me think, wow, what would Guilty Gear be like if it had assist? Because you saw so many people on screen, which was kind of cool. It, it, it kind of it made you think well what could they have done differently with the game um but i think that it did have a, a small audience that did appreciate it you know it, it definitely lended itself to a a broader audience and not no not so much the nuanced fighting game audience at the time because there were definitely people that i knew that were not really into fighting games on a competitive level very casual that did enjoy the game so it's it served uh, the purpose from the the standpoint that Sammy had, at least that's what I, that's how I felt about it. Okay, I, I just want to be clear. So, so Guilty Gear Isika came out in two thousand three, and oh. it it was the three. the first one on the Atomus wave. Uh, I think it was the and I think it was the first one, and it's the only okay. one. The the sequels to XX uh, were still on Naomi. Okay. After that, so it was. Okay. It was kind of uh, a miss. So uh, the, the reason why it's so special is that basically it's a cross between Guilty Gear, uh, Smash Bros, and yes. uh, Fatal Fury, I suppose. Yeah. Because you can play um, up to four players at the same time. You can yep. uh, make teams or free for all or things like that. You have stocks like. Each character has stocks that define how much uh, life as a team or as, or as a solo player they have. And you can uh, switch from the foreground to the background. So there's like two... <laughs> two planes, yeah. Two, that's two uh, playing Fury. zones. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, that, that's where the Fatal Fury influence comes in. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you have moves that uh, that sends the opponent in the background or foreground. You have moves uh, like this. That, but so this way it sounds like funny. It kind of sounds funny until you realize that there's friendly fire 
even if you're in the same <laughs> team, and that you need a button to turn your character. Yes. And that's yep. the, 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 the that's the main, you know, uh, crime of this game. <laughs> because, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. That button was uh, that was the undoing of the game for me. I, I was kind of on board for um, all all the other craziness, and I still appreciate the attempt. But um, the turn button uh, just really destroyed the intuitiveness of the the gameplay because Guilty Gear one on one is already insane. It's it's very intense. There's a lot to keep track of. So uh, when you have four people on screen at once, it's it's not even twice as complex. It's like an order of magnitude more insane. And then I, I think they they thought they would offset that by having two uh, planes, you know? So it's not like super crazy, not everyone on one plane, but that made it even more confusing. And then on top of that, like, um, I, because, you know, the, the, the way inputs work um, and, and the way, like, you, with that many people on screen, like, you, you got to target different people. Smash Brothers doesn't have complex inputs. They're just, just press a direction, press the button, and your move comes out. Guilty Gear has, like, half circles, quarter circles, like, double, yeah, like, like complex traditional fighting game moves. So it would have been almost impossible to pull off with that. I don't know. It, it, I, I see what there they were. Yeah, go go for it. Go for it. There was a lot of over. There was exponential overlap. That's that's what I think of when I think of Guilty Gear Isuka, um, because when you think about the magnitude of what you have to look out for with one person in a proper Guilty Gear game, and you think about three other people being on the screen, and then thinking about the fact that you have to turn your character around. That's that's a responsibility that you have, like an obligation. It, it becomes, like I said to myself, I said, I never thought I would have to, like, cancel the animation of turning into a special move. Like, just the <laughs> thought of that destroys me, right? Like, because I remember when someone explained this to me, they were like, you have to turn around. And I was like, what do you mean, turn around? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you have to turn around. I said, it's a 2D game. Like, what do you mean by that? And they, were, and they showed me. <laughs> and and like I have I have a D pad. I can already turn around. Right, and it was it, what was interesting. Right, was there was a meme that came out years later where the guy like missed a high five, and he's in that same pose of like missing the high five throughout the whole day. <laughs> That's how I felt when someone explained this to me because it was just like I just I couldn't fathom the idea of 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 even doing that. And then I remember just being like, okay, I'm gonna just try it out and see and it was just it was a, it was a, it was a different experience for me and i i became an admirer from afar because it looks beautiful <laughs> when you just watch people play and you just see all these beautiful sprites interacting with each other with all these particle effects and you see these like stretched backgrounds and you know it it, it made me think like wow guilty gear versus capcom could be possible you know just in terms of how much character interaction was going on on screen but actually playing it for someone who's into fighting games as much as I am, it I looked at it as this is for a particular audience, and I greatly I hope that they enjoy it. Um, <laughs> you know, it 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 definitely was a point where you could see that, much like any fighting game, there's always a point where the game will come out, it'll do what it needs to do for its niche audience, it'll cater to them, it will interact with them, but there's always a point where someone involved says, okay, how do we expand this audience and that's not a bad thing 
it's really just about how you approach it. Sometimes you're going to hit, sometimes you're going to miss. I don't want to say Isuka is a miss because there are certain things in Isuka that actually did come into play with other games and it made more sense. The turnaround mechanic, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, when you're playing Persona 4 Arena, when you're yeah. jumping, you yeah, have to turn you your character. So yeah. I feel like there was like a slight, it was like a subtle evolution of the turnaround mechanic in a way that made sense for another game. Because it doesn't really bother me in, in Arena at all. Yeah, in Arena, it, it out, was a... Sorry, go, go. Sure. I, was gonna think, I think when it came out, people actually liked the idea. They just didn't like the way that it was executed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in Arena, it's kind of different. It's, it's like a, an option that is given to you. If you are in the air, you can, you know... And you pass, um, and you pass your, your your opponent by the air. You you can't hit him because you are still facing uh, this way. So in arena, you could switch, so you could do a crazy mix-ups and things like that. But in this game, it's it's just not working. Just to when I launched the game this afternoon, just to to try to refresh my memory. I played with Soul and I was like, oh, I'm going to dust up. That's going to, <laughs> after the conversation we had the last time, I was like, okay, I, I, I'm in need of some dust loop in my life right now. And I'm going to do them on Izuka. <laughs> and the first thing I noticed was that I'm like, okay, a punch kick slash blah, 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 blah. And I pressed the dust button and the dust button has been changed to the turn button. And so Sol, instead of continuing, he just turned. I was like, what? <laughs> and, I, and I love so hard. <laughs> and I saw it. I was like, ah, oh, that was a thing. But what does that mean? That means that the dust is back on a combination of buttons, like in Guilty Gear X. So they, you know, they, they came back from a good evolution to uh, to what they did before, and and there's so much buttons combination to press, and there's still the the the, the thoughtless defense, and you still have to do inputs, uh, clean inputs like dragon punches. It doesn't make any sense to have this. Maybe you know they could have done a, a normal button, a special button, a turn button, and a background foreground button. That would have worked, but it's too much. Yeah, that it's definitely weird. would have worked. I think. I think if they if they streamlined your mm. your functionality, I think that the game would have hit the mark a lot stronger, and there would have been. Because I don't want to say that there's no audience for Isuka, because I think that there is, uh, but I think that it probably would have been more pronounced, and it would have been something that carried on if the mechanics themselves, in terms of the execution of them, would have been simplified for the sake of four people being on screen and you have to turn around that is already a lot in and of itself especially with friendly fire there's so many things that could easily go wrong at any given time when you're trying to perform in a place where there's so much overlap mm-hmm. you know so it, it's it's a beautiful looking game you know it, it, it again for me it made me think wow a Guilty Gear versus Capcom would be a game that I would love, or a Sammy versus Capcom would have been a game that I would I would love. Uh, but when it comes to Isaka, it's I look at it as it's a it's a part of the collection. Uh, if if <laughs> if I if for whatever reason I had a few buddies over and we just wanted to kind of like just play around for shits and giggles, like oh, okay, cool, like let's just around with some Isaka before we play like Exert or something. Like it it, it did. I feel like it did. It made a stamp in a sense, though, because it got you realizing that the company was thinking about different ideas. And it was kind of exciting in a way in terms of just the 
the potential there because I believe around that time, Sammy versus Capcom was a massive rumor for a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it, it did get me thinking more along the lines of the what's next kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Do, do you want to uh, a trivia that that uh, sums up the game a bit? Is uh, this game had an award? Like, did you know that? <laughs> it had an award from GameSpy in 2004. They gave Izuka the award It Sounded Good on Paper Award. Okay. <laughs> 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 I found it by yeah. surprise this afternoon. But as um, James de- said, the game is beautiful. And one of the things I love about this game is that it has all new artworks from uh, Ishiwatari, I suppose, and a brand new soundtrack too. And both of them are amazing. Yeah, it's, you know, if you're a hardcore fan, it's definitely worth experiencing. Like, it's a really unique experiment. And uh, the, the more I think about it, like, it, it, it was, it, like you guys were saying, the ideas, it's, it's planted some seeds that they carried out better in other games down the road. Uh, uh, speaking of experiencing things, I would like to talk about the final boss in this game, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, okay. this is really what I remember best of this game. Sean, why don't you explain the glory of the last boss of this? Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right. I believe it's uh, Leopoldon. Um, yeah. Leopoldon. Uh, Leopoldon, yeah. So it's uh, it's a shirt. Sure... Try to describe what... it. Just, just use the okay. whole... <laughs> so so um, I believe the, the core concept is that the characters are inside of what i think is a shark body except the it has legs and has fur it's like a it's like a dog and a shark body used as a shell for uh but it's also got like bear paws they're not like dog paws it's Uh, and the dog has like has like got i it, it's like if Ishiwatari was given the task to create the dog for Neverending Story. This is what he would have. Yeah. He would have given the luck dragon. Yeah, the luck dragon. I'm, my, my, my I'm, I'm actually now that I've tried to describe this, uh, I I still have no idea what I'm looking at. Okay, can, uh, I, can I can I make an attempt? Yeah, describe it. Okay, this is. I'm gonna have to use my 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 100 percent of my brain and my grasp of the English language here. Okay, so he's the last boss. He's a towering monster, right? So so your initial impression is this is big, beastly, you know, a bipedal uh, monster like ogre that fills the screen. It's a four-player game. The camera zoomed way out, but this is like the biggest sprite. Biggest 2D sprite anyone had ever seen at that point, uh, you know, because the game's unusually high resolution. Um, and you look closer, and you're like, "Wait, uh, its head is not right." So, like you said, it looks like a shark. It's got this giant head, but it's bent all the way. The top part of its head is bent over backwards, opening up. And you look closer, and you're like, "Oh, it's like kind of more like a hippo, because its mouth opens like 180 degrees." Mm. Uh, so it's this white hippo with its mouth open, and there's the teeth all the way around. But then inside, <laughs> inside there's a wizard. There's a wizard in armor, and he's like a black mage, and he's kind of wiggling his arms. He's obviously piloting, right? He's this crazy wizard. And then in front of him is a puppy, except it's also gigantic. 
<laughs> but it's dwarfed in size by the monster itself. But it's a gigantic puppy. And the puppy is wearing bondage gear. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's this cute reddish It's a brown, cute dog. Cute dog. And it's wearing like a gimp mask. But it's not even a normal gimp mask because it's... Uh, the the ball gags are over its eyes. It's it's complete <laughs> insanity folded upon more insanity. <laughs> and, and the wizard is actually playing djembe or drums inside yes. the mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just like beating, banging on a drum, commanding this thing. It's yeah, uh, folks. Please look look it up. Leo Leo Paldon. If if you go to the uh, Fighters Generation, that awesome website that has like an archive of oh, uh, it has games, everything. Right? Yeah. 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 yeah, Leopoldon is in a game full of insane characters. Is just like the most insane of all of them. <laughs> well, and he, and he has uh, he has a couple of attacks where the uh, mouth situation like fires a beam and stuff, right? So it's pretty fun to fight. Oh, and do you think he was named after um, Spider-Man's Mecha from the uh, live-action? Spider-Man Tokusatsu uh, show? Absolutely, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel that with my whole soul. Like, yeah. that's, the one, that's the one thing that I can, can actually comprehend and understand <laughs> about this character is that one particular thing. Because for a long time, like, because I saw art for Leopoldum before I played the game. There was, like, yeah. some sort of uh, snippet from, like, a Japanese magazine, and it was, like, cut and repurposed for, like, some American article. And I was like, that is a garble of mess. That is, like, line and color casserole. I don't know what this is. I'm like, okay. And then when I saw the character in-game, I was like, I was even more confused. I was like, <laughs> okay. Like, I accept that this is here. I did not know these things were possible. Uh, I will say, I do like the character select screen in this game. That is yeah. one thing that I I do enjoy is using the negative space of a chain link fence. Like that's really smart. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I felt like the whole like it it was a guilty gear motifed uh, approach with it, but it was still like probably one of the more quirky attempts at something for guilty gear in terms of character select screens. So I I, I enjoyed watching the interface and the UI of that. Like I thought that was really cool. But yeah, like this is a this is a very interesting game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I just want to touch on a little bit. Um, so you know, I basically a lot, all the weirdness from it came from this idea of like four player guilty gear, um, and the difficulties in trying to actually make that work because they guilty gear is a very technical game. Uh, but then four player games tend to be you know party games like. Smash Brothers is very technical at a high level, but it's the kind of game where the inputs are so simple anyone can pick it up and just start smashing. Whereas uh, Guilty Gear, like you have to learn the characters. They, they have very unique properties. Um, and then when it's four players, it's like everything goes out the window. Like the, the characters just were not balanced for that. But um, let's talk a little bit about like the four player games that came before this that might have inspired it. Like, uh, I, I, the the first one I remember is uh, Yu Yu Hakusho for the uh, Mega Drive. That was by uh, Treasure, right? That's that's the first oh, wow. simultaneous four player double plane fighting game. I, I think that must have influenced this. But um, one Maybe of the Guardian differences. Heroes? Yes, 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 yes. Guardian Heroes for sure. Also, also by Treasure. So um, and that was also double plane. 
or, or a triple plane in some some places, I think. Um, but the thing with those games is they didn't. Everything was like a quarter circle or a dragon punch, right? There there was no no charge moves, no like half circles. Um, it was they they it was designed from the ground up so that you could turn when you press left or right. You would just go in that direction. There was no walking backwards and blocking. You you know it it, it controlled like a brawler with fighting game inputs, uh, whereas Isuka was a fighting game. Like it it, it you know. Mm. I see what yeah. you mean. It's uh, it's like they they didn't uh, dare to go further. Actually, yeah, that's uh, that's probably in the. But it's it's probably too that they 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 lacked time to, to oh, yeah. do the game. That that's probably yeah. you know uh, uh, a client's work to uh, that they had to uh, fulfill and. Uh, there's also interesting things inside the game that makes it peculiar, even for other fighting games like the the Robokai uh, customization. Yeah, uh, that's very that's very very funny thing. I have a friend who spent so much time doing his ideal Robokai and making combo movies of it. <laughs> and um, can, can, can yeah. you explain the Robokai mode to the the listeners? Yeah, uh, was so, that a console exclu- exclusive, or was I think yes, I think okay. yes. It was a it, console exclusive. And the, the the way it worked was that you would unlock. I think you will gain coins or things like that, and you could buy moves. So the the special moves of the of the other characters and add them to uh, Robokai. So it was Robokai MK2. And so the, the thing is that you could, for example, take the, the, the Dragon Punch from Soul Bad Guy and then the Potemkin Buster from Potemkin and, uh, I don't know, the best fireball in the game and the Dolphins of May and create your own Robokai. And Robokai had also had a system where he had yellow Roman cancels that instead of taking one um, one fourth of uh, your tension bell, was it will it will take only twenty percent, I think. Uh, so this this meant that you could do cancels on almost anything. So you could do like a dragon punch. Uh, I don't know, not dragon punch. You could do like. A, Normal, normal Potemkin Buster cancel Dragon Punch cancel. Uh, I don't know Dolphin, for example. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was kind of like if they made Mugen, yeah, <laughs> within Robokai. Like, like it's literally the most open-ended yeah. character that I've ever seen in Guilty Gears. Like all the flags were turned on. Yeah. Like, what's funny is that they redrew every special move. Yeah. According to Robokai's style, for example, he doesn't have the, the sword of the soul that uh, allows him to make flames. So the Dragon Punch is actually his hand transforming into a reactor and uh, propulsing him uh, in the air. And uh, for the Potemkin Buster, he has uh, arms coming from his back and grabbing you because his, his uh, own arms are not uh, big enough. And that's the redrew everything. And sometimes the the Robokai version of the moves is super funny. So it was really a, a, a massive work of uh, sprite art to to do this. Wow, 
Yeah. And of course, there was also the the beat them up mode. I think it yeah. was guilty of boost. And I must uh, I must say, after playing Street of Rage four last week and playing this one, <laughs> it did not age well at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> That was not the the right time, you know, to test it. But uh, no, it's awful. There's not there, there's so many waves of enemies. Uh, the the stages does not evolve. It's a straight line, and there are like three or four types of enemy only. So that's that's not very interesting. And uh, I think that you had to play this mode to gain coins to unlock uh, moves to for Robokai. Whew, that was a. Uh, that was painful, I suppose. It was a lot. Grinding the game, yeah. Didn't the didn't the boost mode still retain the turn mechanic, even though you were yeah. not fighting anybody else? Yeah, yeah. It it had the what they did was that instead of you know you press left and your character turns left and press right and character turns right, you still have to turn yourself. And worst of it, they added a shortcut on this button exclusively for the boost mode where the character is doing a, a kind of invincible backdash or dash forward, I'm not sure. I'm not even sure if it's invincible, but it's doing a, a kind of dash. Uh, when I was playing it this afternoon, I was like, why is it not turning? And that was because I was using a direction. Yeah. It's hard to break that. It's, it's, it's something that's so uh, ingrained in, in a player. So... When you have to rewire something so simple in your brain, it just makes for a different experience. That's not a very good game, to be honest. Fun experiment, though. Yeah, I yeah. They, they learned a lot from it and uh, applied that to, to other games, you know, because they, they went on to make a lot of other uh, uh, four-player fighting games, right? They did the, um, the, the, Bleach, the Bleach games. Yeah, they did, actually, yeah, yeah. Right. Were any of the... Dra- Dragon Ball games. Uh, I don't actually. I don't think any of those were four player, but um, yeah, they no. definitely applied their learnings down the road. And I, I think they also like this game would have really benefited from like a Blaze Blue like simplified control scheme, right? Like the the simple mode where you can just map stuff to like. Uh, oh, that would have been uh, excellent. Yeah, that would have solved a lot of problems. <laughs> like, yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that did not work out in this game got 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 solved way down the road in uh, lots of other titles. So this is actually a great game if you're, um, especially if you're like a game designer. <laughs> like to look at this game in the context of the series, it's, it's pretty interesting. It is a weird ass game. <laughs> no, I think, I think the, the thing that I took away from it, right? It's my, my stance on it as someone who plays fighting games, right? Cause I think this is something that comes up sometimes, you know, you play fighting game A, you love it, you enjoy it, and fighting game A has like several iterations over the years, and in your own journey, like playing them, you come across someone who's like, well, I liked fighting game B's iteration better. You're like, okay, well, because of X, Y, Z. So you're like, okay, so there's different vantage points and stances that, seem, that people will have, and then you approach a game where you're just like, this makes no sense to me, based on what has been established, right? And you're like, oh, you know, knee-jerk reaction is, this is bad, it's bad, 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 whatever. But, it's it's not necessarily that it's bad. There's there's a developer's exploration that kind of has to happen sometimes, and this can be with any company. It could be like the number one hardest hitting like A list company. It could be the Z tier company. There's always a point where something happens in development where it it's gonna affect the player base in a way, but you 
I feel like for myself, I can't speak for anyone else. What I've started to do is look at it as, well, what else is really here? I mean, yes, this is something that I'm not enjoying and that's okay. And that's fine. But what else is here? Is this a catalyst? And I think I said this before in the other podcast, but you kind of have to think about, okay, well, this might not have hit the way that you may have wanted it to, but this could also be a catalyst for things in the future that may be better. So I try to look at it not so much as it being like a bad game, but more the evolution that a company needs to make something like amazing or to make something that you didn't think could be possible. Or at least even if it's not even that big of a deal, it could be something as small as like a simple mechanic being put into another game that makes more sense. But the trial and error from Isuka led to it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, mm. like, I, like I, I feel like when I think about things that way, if a game disappoints me, it doesn't hurt as much, you know? Like, it's like, well, it serves its purpose. Yeah. What I wanted to talk to you about Isuka to is how um, Ishuatari art style evolved in this episode. I don't know if, oh, you, yeah, may, if, if you noticed, but uh, he went from, I don't, I don't know how to say it clearly, but he went from um, a very, I don't know, round and uh, how to say it, very drawn style to something that is more lean, I suppose. I'm not, not sure to, how to say it, but I, I, it's, it looks like it changed the way he does colors and um, but also drawing lines and things like that. And uh, the artworks are also sometimes very, very strange in this game. If you take, for example, uh, Bacon artwork in this game, like she's a, she has a, a big face, Something mm -hmm. like that. It's 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 really strange too. <laughs> but uh, I like the evolution. I don't know for you, but I really really enjoy Izuka artwork style, and uh, it's still it's still the the classic you know designs. But uh, oh, we also didn't talk about it. But that's the game that brought us Eba. Yeah, my and, favorite uh, character design. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Which uh, so who takes the challenge to describing Ava? <laughs> <laughs> uh, James, I'll 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 give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. I I actually have a lot of love for this character's design, and it was I felt like for a very long time I was the only person on the planet that liked this character. I love it. <laughs> I, I I felt like whenever I explained this character to people, they were just like you're really weird and i don't know if i know you anymore uh but uh she fights with a key um and i and her fashion is mostly bandages uh i <laughs> like it's it sounds very odd but when you see this character in game and you see her moveset and you see the personality that she has it, it it's cool like it's it's something that's It's like an Ishiwatari exclusive. Like no one else would have come up with this character. Mm. No one else would have developed this character the way that they that they did. Uh, but I I thoroughly enjoy the the silhouette this character creates with the key that's as big as like that's taller than her. I I appreciate what she represents in terms of like dynamism. Uh, she's by far one of my my favorite uh, Guilty Gear character designs. I don't really know how to <laughs> explain much more outside <laughs> it's like, like it's like the the character from fully who was turning yeah. to frankenstein and in love with a yeah. giant key 
that's, <laughs> that's a very very strange yeah folks, yeah just just picture that if you haven't seen this character picture that in your mind and that that probably is pretty close to how this character looks what you're picturing yeah what the, the key is my favorite part because it's got so much personality yeah yeah yeah, Wait, yeah the key so has eyes <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the, key, so... the key can talk has eyes and can transform into a demoniac form or something like that and uh, they, are, they are basically like she's in love with the key but the key is not really in love with her but at the same time so it's kind of very very strange it's like the, the strangest couple that you can find in a fighting game yeah she, was... she 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 has to drag the key around right like her yeah. that's her main weapon and it's bigger than her and it is difficult for her to move it around she's actually one of the slowest characters right yeah yeah which for me was oh man i had to love that character i had to yeah. like i went through a brief point where i was trying to learn her and it was it was tough uh <laughs> You know, because I, I definitely play characters that walk like Ferraris. And to play someone that is uh, as as tank-like as as Abba is, it was it was difficult. But I love the design so much. And uh, the fact that she had invulnerability with certain moves, it, it, it made up for it. And it created a different way to approach how you approach. Uh, and that was a challenge also for... A Guilty Gear game. And I mean, I've seen people actually find some amazing stuff in Isuka. Um, but, you know, like, I, yeah, Isuka was just not for me in, in that regard. But there, there's a lot of beautiful things when, that you could see once you realize, like, someone who knows how to play her correctly. Like, there's, there's an art form to expressing with this character that I, I highly respect for people who do. Mm. I just wanted to add that the, the key has a name. His name is uh, Pericelsius. Yeah. <laughs> and nice. the key, uh, the key can drink blood, and so um, I don't, I don't remember in Izuka how it works within the in the XX series. It's like Eba has like three uh, blood um, transfusions, and she can make <laughs> the key drink the blood, and the key goes crazy. And each time you hit your opponent with the key, uh, it damages. Aba, Aba too, and if you want to recover the life that you uh, took upon yourself, you have to retransform the key, uh, or uh, because you can uh, use the key as a, a throw. So if you do that, you you regain your life, or the key has to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> you have a move and the key like burps and all the blood comes on the Aba's head and she's like, ah! so it's it's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's funny because it makes me realize how much the Ishiwatari's brain and the characters in Guilty Gear were a catalyst for my own individuality as a creator. Like it, it made me think, well, if they can do this, if a key can vomit or a key can drink blood, <laughs> then like, <laughs> are my ideas that crazy or yeah. wild rather? Like, mm. no, like it's, this is fine. Like, like it. It, it encouraged me to be more of myself as a creator because that definitely was a catalyst for inspiration for something in PTS, but I'll leave that out of this. This is a different stuff for a different podcast, basically, but it just reminded me, like, wait a minute. Like, yeah, this game poked me in my on my shoulder, like, nah, man, be yourself. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, he, he already we were already shocked by Zappa in the na last episode, and now we have Leopoldon and Aiba, so... 
these, ga these games, these games. <laughs> yeah, that, that reminds me of um, something. I was watching the Toko Toko uh, video on uh, Ishiwatari. Um, but it's on, on YouTube. Have you guys seen it? The, the, you know, the Toko Toko, they, they yeah. do like documentaries on creators in Japan. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Archipel. No, it's, I think it's Archipel. Famous. Oh, okay. Archipel. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. Awesome mini documentaries. Uh, anyone that's listening, please look those up. They, they did the awesome one on Aki Man too. Uh, but mm -hmm. they, they did a, a short one on Ishiwatari. And uh, uh, during their feature on him, he said that um, he thinks his approach to uh, design uh, for game design, character design, everything. He said, um, as you get older, you get this sense of like, okay, like this is it. Like this is this design is perfect. It's done, right? And you're like, okay, it's good. But he, as a creator, he wants to just push it way past that. He, he like he knows <laughs> when he gets there, and he's like, uh, but I want to just keep keep going, just keep going. And I think you you see that in all of the guilty gears. You see him always pushing it and. Maybe it comes to its sort of peak weirdness in Isuka, though. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There are some pretty weird characters added in Exard, though. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just so. just something I wanted. I, I don't know if you... I just noticed it while watching an artwork, but you know the colors of the artworks in Isuka. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that remind me of another uh, fighting game artist at the same time? Because if you look at, um, I'm going to link to you. If you look, for example, at Testament uh, artwork in Izuka and um, look at his skin and uh, things like that. And even the poses in the game, it reminds me of the King of Fighter and SNK versus Capcom Chaos with Nona, you know. Maybe mm. you, you see what I mean? The um, we we are going is going in a more realistic and at the same time deformed and more dramatic poses with these characters. Like he always had a, a style where proportions are really off the ground and uh, it's not it's not working but it works. It's not anatomically working but it works. And in this one, he went he went very very crazy with that and. Um, and even the colors are more muted. It's less. Uh, it's less cartoony, actually. It's less cartoony they, in this. They one. are more realistically proportioned in this one. Um, mm. Guilty Gear, the very first one. They, I think they have sort of the strongest, uh, like manga, influenced look. Mm. Well, I, I, compared to like, um, like '90s style, not not like modern style. So, th so they were really like ripped and like you know more like. Fist of the North Star, like big <laughs> imposing characters. And then um, I think in the X games, they started to get like a little bit more toned down. And then in Isika, in the, the artwork, they're actually, this is like as thin as the characters will ever get. Yeah, yeah, of mm -hmm. course. Yeah, yeah you're right. even Soul, like, is reasonably proportioned. And, you know, like, especially if you look at him yeah. in, uh, in Exert, he's a Hulk again. He's bigger than oh, ever. He's, he's, uh, he's massive, uh, and he yeah. gets bigger, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but so in Isuka, he's, yeah, he's still, like, he's like an Ikemen. You know, he's like a male model build. And yeah. I, I think maybe, I think that's a good comparison with Nona. Um, if, if you're listening right now, you could... Uh, you could look up the art for Isuka. If you if you Google Creative Uncut Guilty Gear Isuka, you can find a gallery really easily. And then if you just Google like uh, maybe like what SVC Chaos. Uh, On KOF 2001, 2002 yeah. and Nona. Yeah, you'll find yeah. them.
I think what you said about the coloring is is a good observation. I think the the way they render, uh, especially for the muscles, it's very planar. Um, they really em emphasize like the 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 planes of the surfaces, not through lines, but through the uh, the the shading. And it's it's not a lot of like smooth gradients. It's like very clear delineations mm -hmm. between you know the planes of the muscles, and then strong highlights along the edges, like white highlights. It's it's a I, I really like that look. It's a very like tactile, like you, you can kind of feel it, you know, very sculptural kind of look. I'm wondering yeah. if he's doing it with the computer this time, because I know he's using, you know, um, uh, pencil color pencils when doing most of his artwork colors. And uh, that looks like something that came out of a computer sometimes. Oh, ab absolutely. I, I, yeah. I mean, um, if if I look at the X2 art, like a lot of it is still by hand. It kind of got that watercolor look, um, you know, very smooth. And then I, I think for Isika, um, that must have been when he really got into digital painting and probably anyone who paints. You know, do you remember like that that Eureka moment when you figure out like how to use the eyedropper while you're under? Like you don't yeah. have to keep manually picking the color now. You're yeah. like, oh, yeah, and then, and then you get deep into like the sculptural aspect of rendering. Like I think that's what's going on here, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. right. The line, the line work on it feels pretty digital as well. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And it's thin. It's very thin yeah. on this yeah. uh, in this game. It's, yeah. it's, and, uh, it's it's almost like a very anemic approach to yes the the, the line <laughs> art. Dude, that's such a good word. I I, I wonder if that, that that was literally like his his one of his uh you know it, themes because uh, Abba is literally a, a, the the most anemic fighting game character <laughs> ever. Like she's she's literally wrapped up. So true. She's got all she's she's trying to stop. She's wrapped up in bloody bandages and just kind of like wan. She's just kind of like eh eh. I gotta fight. <laughs> <laughs> Well, wasn't that also like a fashion um, at the time? Like, uh, it I, was I don't an aesthetic, I think, that was, I don't, I don't know if it was like kind of tapering off at that time, but there yeah. were a lot of like themes that were expressed in manga and in anime with uh, bandages in a more like a, an aesthetic motif, not the way that taped fist were in like Hokuto no Ken and like other. Uh, anime before that time but you know if you looked at stuff like x um you know angel sanctuary yami no matsue mm. there was a lot of like bandaged aesthetic going wasn't, on yeah. wasn't the that the time where a lot of um of creators that grew up with uh, tim burton were in age of you know creating their own works and uh, being yep. published because mm -hmm, I remember yeah. going in art school around 2003 and four, and uh, one of the criteria for being rejected was <laughs> copying Tim Burton. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. Because they in, were so fed up of it. They were so fed up. Like everyone is doing Burton with the stripes. It's like an influx. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> I, I could swear it was actually like a fashion trend with um, in in Japan with with mm. the, you know the Shibuya kids like like bloody you know uh, medical wraps and like a, a bandage over one eye. I, I don't remember the name. You for know it, what though? though you no you make a point because uh, I think one of my fruits magazines that was up you know the issue that came out around that time did have 
some of that in there, like mixed in with just like a overall like kind of like spring pastel medical aesthetic. Like, uh, so I, I think there is something to that. I, I would have to go back and look through my yeah. ridiculously extensive collection of fruits magazines, but I'm because it when you said it that way, like it kind of it sparked something in my head. Like, wait a minute, like I think I did see a lot of uh, imagery at a certain point in the time around this uh, release, so it does make sense. Yeah. Yep. Oh man, <laughs> that's something fun. Fun times. Should we uh, should we move on to the next game? Yeah, why not? Mm -hmm. So okay. one thing you we have to note at this time is that um, Arc System Works was after that uh, doing new XX episodes, so Reload slash Accent Core things like that. But they, that's also the moment they started to have clients work um, using their tech. And uh, that's uh, Bazara for uh, Capcom and uh, Bas mm. Basara Cross, I think it was uh, called. And uh, the famous Fist of the North Star yes. by Arc System Works, the most busted game. My that dear was heart. Oh, that <laughs> game. I... Oh, man. I'm not going to go on too much of a tangent yeah. here. I'm just going to talk for like a few minutes about that game. Yes. I saw this game. I was at SCAD. And... <laughs> I saw a video of this game from a game center and someone was doing a combo with Toki. And I think <laughs> it may have been Kurenai no Buta because he won uh, Super Battle Opera, the biggest tournament for the game. Um, and it literally was the longest combo I've ever heard. And it felt like he was making a beat with the character. <laughs> and it, it made me think, holy crap, I literally can express myself for like 10 minutes on my opponent. <laughs> I need to learn this game. And I was, I literally, like, at a certain point, there was no word on when the game was going to come out on a console. I was going to buy a cabinet in SCAD. Mm, it was on a Tony Swag too. Yeah. yeah, I was going to buy a cabinet. I was, like, super close to, like, just doing the deed. And then it was uh, announced that it was going to come on Japanese PS2. And I loved how busted that game was, like, X Men versus Street Fighter version one on steroids. And I, I had such a ball with it. I encouraged my friends to play it. And I told them, I said, understand, you can be as rude as you want in this game. It is okay. <laughs> like, you will see me do combos with Rao that last 30 minutes. You can do the same. You too can be an asshole. Like, it was, it's okay. And I had so much fun with that game. And I, there's something that I cherish about it. Whenever people talk to me about, like, balance versus, like, busted games, and I and, and X-Men vs. Street Fighter version one and Hokuto no Ken are like the two games that I bring mm -hmm. up is that like in a controlled environment where people understand exactly what they're getting into, it is a very fun game. Yeah. Like, but yeah, I just I just had to put it out there, man. That game has a special place in my heart. <laughs> that's that's the most busted game because there's, you know, infinite combos in this, but there's also, you know, the, the fatal the basketball combos, like, combos. Yeah, the basketball combos, but there's also the, the, the system in the game when you can remove the stars from the destiny of each character, yes. and if yeah. they don't have any stars, you can do a super, and it kills, it kills instantaneously. <laughs> so there are, there are finals of tournament where the guy like, is like, he's doing a super, and the game is over. He won. <laughs> just yeah, won that's so 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 fun. I've 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 done one thing where like because the way that they had it set up, right? There were seven stars. 
there were like three star combos and that was like the biggest deal but then it got to a point where people figured out how to break the the, the mechanic of that so you could get like four star combos so you would get one star back after each round but it didn't matter if you knew how to do like a four star combo like you were you were just like a god and if you had everything that you needed to do and i remember i i boost canceled into uh shin's command grab at the beginning of the last round of the fight and literally did fatal, fatal ko on somebody and i had that moment where i was like that's the sexiest thing i've done in a fighting game but also like the evilest thing i've ever done in a fighting game i actually grabbed him by the shoulder and was like yo man good game i'm sorry man I was like, I had to do it. He was like, nah, I respect it, man. I get it. like he was like, this is a game where this is allowed. Like, you understand, like when you understand how it's almost like you can be a character from Fist of the North Star. No one's nice in Fist of the North Star. Like, no one's compassionate, except for Kinshiro. But that's like he, you know, he's like, you know, Kung Fu Jesus. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it makes sense. But like everyone is ruthless in Fist of the North Star. And I feel like in a weird way, that game paralleled the ruthlessness that you that that world kind of like you know lives in so it was just like oh okay yeah that's cool you know but yeah it's a it's an awesome game yeah do you know <laughs> do, do you want to know why the there are infinites in this game like that's that's the most basic programmation error in this game so i don't know if it's true but i was told that you know when you hit a character, there's gravity in the game, and um, and you have um, you have a gravity bar, something like that. And when you empty each time you hit your opponent, it empties this this invisible uh, invisible bar. Sorry, and <laughs> so when you drop to zero, you are supposed to be so heavy that uh, you you can't be comboed anymore, and you're on the ground. Except they forgot to forbid this this uh, invisible uh, bar to go in the in the um, in the minus values you know you know what and that so it's, it goes sense. like from 10 5 0 minus 5 minus 10 so that's yeah. why you you bound after that instead of going to the ground <laughs> it has the opposite effect and you go to the moon each time you hit the ground <laughs> actually that makes a lot of sense in terms of how the uh, basketball infinites are uh, yeah. initiated it actually makes a lot of sense because i even mm -hmm. felt that with uh doing certain combos with ray and uh the tomono loop like that that started when it first came out and i was like wait a minute that that actually does make sense so mm -hmm. i wouldn't be surprised I, I i have an anecdote about this game i was at a still another a tournament i call i talked about the last time the Stunfest, and we were waiting for our guilty gear finals and the all the tournaments were running late and it was three in the morning and uh, and we were supposed to do the finals after <laughs> okutono get finals it, it the game had just came out and everyone was playing playing uh, rao with his uh, a loop where he dives kick you plant his uh, yep. trident in your feet and he punches you mm -hmm. and he, he starts over again I was, I, really, I was part of the route army yeah and i was uh we, we had long chairs uh in at the tournament because that was a thing of course you know a beach um uh beach long chairs in uh in in uh wool or things like that and i remember was like okay that's how combo and i fell asleep in front of, of the combos and I woke up and it was the same combo and I was like oh that must mean I, I, I just have dozed off like 30 seconds and no I have slept one hour 
<laughs> in front of a Kutenokian. And the final, we, we went from, uh, I don't know, quarterfinal to finals for one hour with the same mirror match of Rao doing the same infinite combos. Oh, that was yeah. this kind of game. So, well, Arc System Works did this. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to mention, I think this was probably the precursor game that led to them doing stuff like uh, Dragon Ball, like, uh, Grand mm. Blue and stuff like that. Like yeah. they, they always, they always freelanced or did. Uh, you know, you mentioned contracts, but I think this is the first one where they start showing their ability to reflect other game styles. Because yeah. um, not to get too deeply into it, but they really nailed the Fist of the North Star style in this game. Uh, and I'm sure it's our so provided. Good. Yeah. yeah, but like yeah, it, it feels like a, an Arc System Works game, but it doesn't feel like they just guilty geared uh, with a Fist of the North Star skin. Like they made no. a lot of clear changes to the art style and to the way that it moves and to the speed. Um, there's a couple subtle changes. That they, and, and you see it, like I said, you see it in the way that they treat Dragon Ball, the way that they treat uh, Grand Blue and stuff. That's, uh, I don't know, I have a lot of respect for their ability to flex their style, uh, even when people hire them to do what they're good at. Mm. Yeah. The Persona Arena series are a good example, too. Yeah, yeah I remember playing it and I mean, I watched a lot of Japanese like videos from like game centers and tournaments and stuff. When I, when I had the game at home, I remember, you know, it's like it's different when you have it in front of you because there's so many things you can pick up, like sound cues, like you really see the art up close. Uh, but one of the things that I really liked was the announcer in Hokuto no Ken because there was something <laughs> about that. And it felt in a very particular way that took me back to my childhood of when like, you know, random cartoons would come on and there'd be a particular like, vibe of a voice like an announcer on like local television where it's like you know at five o'clock blah 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 comes on he gives a description of yeah. the episode and then he goes to what comes on after that like that that's a very like early mid 80s vibe of like what television was like so it was interesting that that was incorporated into like a very japanese but not japanese game and it it felt right i don't know who this announcer is i haven't heard them in anything else but, like, it was perfect for Hokuto no Ken. Like, it was perfect. And it was just, like... Like, sometimes I would just sit and listen, like, to the announcer, like... You know, because he'd be like, Battle 2, decide the destiny. Like, the stuff he would say <laughs> was it. so, like, insane. The time of retribution. <laughs> Battle yeah. 1 decides the destiny. And it's just, so like... Oh, man. Like, the confidence in the, the, in the delivery of those things. It was just, like, this guy... It was like they went back in time. Found some guy that was in Chicago doing, like, local TV, like, uh, you know, narration or announcements or whatever. And they were like, can you say these things? And it, oh, it, just, it felt so good. <laughs> what is funny is that Sean said that they applied, you know, um, what they, they knew about fighting games. But you can see it's an Arc System Works game because each one of their games has this ridiculous announcer like Heaven or Hell, Wrong One, <laughs> Let's Rock, uh, Time of Retribution, uh, Battle One, Decide the Destiny. After there was Blast Blue, and I don't remember exactly which was Rebel One or thing like that. And yeah, each game one has, action. Yeah. has its, uh, this kind of Arc System Works, you know, um, I don't know, trivia or uh, winks. Like, hey, hey, it's still us. <laughs> it always lets you know. It's like their stamp. It's like, oh, that's the Arxis game. You know? yeah. uh, I was going to ask uh, if, uh, Richmond, if you had an idea on this. One thing that I noticed in at first in this game, but then in other games, is that one thing that they're capable of 
changing that you wouldn't think would be worthwhile changes like the way that they blur frames like the way that say like an attack from soul looks versus a kenshiro attack versus like a goku attack like they could all use the same method of blurring but they all kind of i don't know i don't know how to describe it because i'm not particularly an animator but i noticed that like the way that they blur actions seems to be different I was thinking there was a, there was the animation budget in uh, Fist of the North Star was way uh, less than Guilty Gear, and I think they used a lot of smears and things like that uh, to uh, convey movement because they had less frames uh, in uh, in Fist of the North Star. But I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I, I do think it's definitely like a, a practical um, element of it too. Like with Fist of the North Star, it didn't have as much animation as the other games. But I, I think they also like do their their research into what is ap appropriate, you know, like like the movement in Fist of the North Star matches the characters, and they they really nailed the super statuesque uh, posture, mm. like they they really got that right. Um, and then you know you you uh, the game did use fairly straightforward smears, I think, uh, just very economical. Uh, but then you look at uh, Supersonic Warriors. Uh, I, I think that was their first Dragon Ball game. That that uses like more scratchy smears, yeah, mm -hmm. like more more lines rather than um, Fist of North Star. If if I'm remembering right, has more clean uh, looking smears, like um, uh, like like uh, just a very flat, yeah. uh, clear shape, almost like um, something you would see from. Uh, uh, like the Dover Boys, you know, that's like the, one of the first famous Western animations with a really clean smears. It's almost like that. And then Dragon Ball is like scratchier. It looks more like, um, yeah, kind of like the manga. Like the the times when Toriyama does like smears and, and speed lines and stuff, it, it, it recalls that more. So I, I, do, I do think they are thinking about what's aesthetically appropriate per game. Yeah, there's a lot of love that you just you, you just feel. From uh, whenever they approach a project like this, where they're taking an IP that's separate from, you know, Guilty Gear, they just they're like, all right, we're gonna really take the time to understand this and, and emulate it as best as possible. Well, I noticed the that uh, with it, there's a, a couple things that they wouldn't have had to do, but it, like you said, it might have been the resource grain. But I feel like the the grain on the lines for like Fist of the North Star versus um, like we we talked about this before that Guilty Gear always has like a smoothness to it. And I feel like uh, Fist of the North Star has, like, uh, a grit to it in terms of the way that they render uh, the lines, especially in the backgrounds. Uh, and I don't know, it's always impressed me, especially, uh, I haven't played it yet, but I've been watching videos of, like, the new Grand Blue game that they're working on. And I was like, wow, is there a style they can't do? Uh, it's Because mm. they're not, like, dramatically different styles That's to so true, though. Yeah. the average artist, you know what I mean? Or the average viewer, rather. Um, yeah, yeah. Just going back to what you said about the grit, um, I, that is a word that came up a bit, uh, quite a bit throughout all the different podcasts, how the worlds feel uh, very lived in. And then I, I think for, for Fist of the North Star, it's straight up post-apocalypse. And um, they went for more of a hand-painted look for the background, too. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they, I think they wanted to match the, the classic TV show and movies. So it, it looks like it's painted in, um, you know, like tempera or something. Like it doesn't. It intentionally does not look uh, digital. The the yeah. backgrounds like look very yeah. very hand painted. It, like like it, traditionally hand painted. It reminds me a lot of the background paintings in the beginning of the Fist of the North Star movie. 
yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. which are just like ridiculously perfect for no reason like it's just like like the first <laughs> oh, two to three minutes are just like amazing background paintings with like you know minimal compositing going on with like i guess water reflection and like yeah. everything else is just like just beautiful background paintings it reminded me a lot of the beginning of the hokuto no ken movie yeah they have that feeling of like dry heat. There's like yeah. no cloud in the sky, you know. It's yeah, it, like it just feels weather. oppressive. Yeah, it's um, and I'll, I'll say real quick, just looking at the screens of Fist of the North Star, um, I think the sprite style in this actually ended up influencing the look of Xerd down the road because because everyone in everyone in Hokuto no Ken is jacked. Like they're they're just gigantic. <laughs> dude. Um, yeah, it's games games think, no Ken. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hope it's games. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also um, another two, two other games that they did after that. It's uh, the first one is, is of course Guilty Gear 2 Overture, and uh, and we we talked about how experimental Izuka was, but oh my god, <laughs> this one, this one, uh, that's not the game we were expecting at the time and i remember when it came out i i haven't played it actually because i really wasn't interested and yeah i know have you played it any of you i have actually played it um wow it's uh i have not beaten it because it's not a very fun game i'm sorry uh, <laughs> but i actually my immediate reaction when uh when playing it was like did they outsource this? Did, like, Arxis didn't oh. make this, right? It's <laughs> harder. Uh, unfortunately, I think they did. Um, no, no, they did. That was Yushuatari's project because he stopped uh, doing the XX series with Reload. And um, after that, he did. Uh, he worked for all the, the clients' work, but he worked after that on Overture. And Overture is a mainline entry in the Guilty Gear series. So it's like the, the next episode after... Uh, Guilty Gear, X, XX, and then there's Overture. It's on. Uh, I played it on 360. I don't know how many platforms it was out on, but uh, it looks good. the 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 cover looks cool. Like the idea of it sounds good. But I mean, it's not it's not the worst game in the world. But uh, it's if if you go in, it, it's one of those things where uh, expectations can be a killer in terms of expecting what a Guilty Gear game is going to be like. Yeah. Uh, just to yeah. set the context for the listeners, so Guilty Gear Overture came out in 2007. Guilty Gear is a very established by then. And um, this was Guilty Gear 2. This was officially, yeah. officially the actual sequel to the very first Guilty Gear. Like, it was almost as if it was saying, like, oh, you know, the other games are like spinoffs. This is the official continuation. Uh, it definitely, um, I think they put a lot of effort into progressing the story in it. Yeah, and, uh, and it wasn't a fighting game. So mm -hmm. we've been talking about how experimental they've been getting. This I was think a, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty importantly, it was it was not just not a fighting game; it was three D. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It was three D. And, and there's, but there's another story about why it's not X or XX or Xert series. It's basically um, um, a legal thing. Actually, what happens oh. that yeah 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 actually when um, since Sami uh, published Guilty Gear X and XX that they had the the rights 
for the X and XX series, and they have the rights also for everything that was created for these games. So that means character design, that means music, that means even the title and things like that. So at this time, around 2007, 2008, um, I think it was the time Sami was wanted to uh, stop his arcade uh, tryouts. And so uh, Arc System Works was uh, kind of trapped because they could not publish a new X or XX episode without Sami's approval. And so that's the reason why they, uh, for Accent Core, the last XX uh, episode, they, they self-published it. For example, there's no Sami logo or things like that when you launch the game. And so when they when they wanted to do a new Guilty Gear, well, they had to go back to uh, a time and uh, they had to redo everything, actually, because they could not use the characters, the designs or things like that. They could use characters that existed in Guilty Gear, the first game. And uh, so Milia, Chip, Potemkin, things like that. But, but they also had to redraw them. So that's ah. the re- that's that's the reason why you don't see Dizzy in this game. That's the reason why Sol has a new design and Kai too, and uh, and everything's uh, everything is this. So they um, they were really really trapped, and the only thing they they only managed to have an agreement that took years to come with uh, Sami to regain all the rights of Guilty Gear, uh, and I think it was in 2012, so f- something like oh five years gosh. later. And that's the reason why they started after that doing Ixerd, and that's the reason why they also started Blast, Blast Blue. It's because they didn't have the rights to continue the XX series. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that makes so much <laughs> sense. Because, yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember... Um, I, you know, when Blaze Blue came out, I was like, oh, that's a cool game. But like, I, I just prefer the, the the look and feel of Guilty Gear. And I was like, man, what, when are they going to do a new Guilty Gear? Because like, yeah, that's right. There was just a long period of just Blaze Blue and lots of licensed games and no new Guilty Gear. Wow. <laughs> that's really cool. I, I always also wondered is, so it's not a fighting game, but uh, this was, um, what is it, like 2006, 2007, something like that? Uh, I mean, at this point, I think uh, we had a lot of games like their uh, Devil May Cry had been out for a while. There's, I think, the second one had been out. Uh, things like God Hand were just coming out and stuff. So I, I do think there. I always thought there was an element of um, this was a very uh, kind of trendy type of action game style. Like it definitely had some weirdness in the way that it treated it, but having like a 3D kind of uh, you know beat 'em up style uh, slash action game that was fashionable. Uh, so it seemed like it was an attempt to do that. But at least that was my read on it at the time. Well, what is very strange is that it's actually uh, a kind of um, uh, Musou game. I don't, I don't know if you would call it this way. You know, the, the Koei Tecmo games, like the, the Chinese Wars. I think so, in the yeah. US they just call it like like the Dynasty Warrior like yeah. thing. But yeah, Musou, yeah. It, Mus- it, Musou game. So it was a mix between a Musou and RTS because there were maps and you had to destroy the opponent's base and you could send troops to different parts of the of the map and you were actually playing the heroes so it was a, a kind of guilty gear moba thing with a mm. mix with a, uh, an action uh, like yeah god and or devil may cry take because you you can you could actually play you <laughs> You had a button to switch again, but not the side this time. You had a mode where you would 
do a lot of attacks uh, without uh, focusing on a single opponent. And it was a lot of attacks, uh, ground control uh, attacks and things like that. So it was to kill uh, Trash Mob. And you could then switch modes and when you switch modes it was to enter a more complicated and more beat them up uh not beat them up but uh yeah devil may cry take mm -hmm. and uh and so it was used to uh fight against uh, enemy bosses too so that was strange but it's not the only game that did this because if we stay into uh, you know metal and things like that like three i think it's two or three years later there was a game you know by tim sheffer um uh that was called brutal legend and it was also the same type of game with uh, a lot of reference to metal and things like that where you mm -hmm. it was a mix between a beat them up and uh, an rts so i don't know where this trend came from for both of those games but they they share it well and it and it makes that the the i never personally connected the mobile elements because i didn't know about it at the time but it makes sense defense of the ancients came out in like or rather was created in 2003 so uh around 2007 would be when that genre and dota was starting to mature into its own game and genre and people would probably be interested in playing games that uh, mixed in elements like that like it wasn't like the smash it style genre it is today but i you know it definitely was in full force so yeah maybe uh, there was a lot of elements getting mashed up into the influences there there was also the playstation 2 game uh, chaos legion um that that capcom developed uh, I, I believe that one you could command oh, yeah like, i do remember that. like a helper creature yeah. i actually really enjoyed chaos legion like it wasn't as distinct as devil may cry but it was a fun game mm -mm. yeah yeah you're oh, right. just real, real quick just uh, digging way farther back um <laughs> I'd say I, I would consider this the first modern RTS, uh, Herzog's Y. Um, you know, way back on the on the Mega Drive, uh, the game that inspired Dune 2, which is what most people consider the first RTS. Um, that game, you controlled a hero unit, and then you, it, it was actually a transforming uh, mecha. It, you'd fly around as a jet or transform into a robot and get on the ground and shoot people. And uh, you had a base, and you could generate units, and then you'd fly over the units in a top-down view to select them and give them commands. So, mm. so the the arguably the first modern RTS was um, a mix of action and RTS from the mm -hmm. get-go. So that was good. And yeah, you said Richmond that it was uh, heavy on the scenario, on the story, and uh, yeah, the game has had a lot of story elements, and uh, that's actually. From this game, I think that the, um, how to say it without being, you know, blunt, but the very anime scenario thing started to go in all places with this game, with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, clones of uh, some characters. So there's like the same character, but they're not the same character. And things like, uh, oh, that's the son of this character and this character, but the timeline doesn't work. So we can say that uh, he's a dragon boy. Uh, that is five. Uh, he, he, he's like two meters tall, but he's only five years old, you know. And um, that's what that's sad because, you know, Guilty Gear should not have to justify itself for being weird. And uh, somehow the, 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 the story went this way with uh, Valentine, which is a, a cool design in this game. And uh, Jaco in x is also based on the same character and same thing. So there's a lot of things going uh, going um, 
going on in this game. And some characters we never saw again, like Izuna or Dr. Paracelsus, something like that. Was this the game that introduced, uh, uh, to what you were talking about, uh, Kai's son? That's in, yeah, uh, Sin. Sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, the, um, basically, what, we, uh, what Richmond explains about, explained about the story of the game in the, um, with the influence with, with uh, um, Ah, Bastard. Uh, the the game the, the 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 in a different take with this game because you you know that Sol is the kind of uh, prototype gear and things like that and he was engineered and actually engineered itself and he had a wife or a companion or something like that and from this game it's like in each game they're going to have a clone of his wife that's coming and he's like oh my <laughs> god what's happening <laughs> and so that and is still fundamentally the story <laughs> that's yeah. so true though it really is <laughs> like in this game it's valentine which is a evil version of his wife and in Xod it's jaco who is the uh jaco lantern crazy sexy version of his wife and i can't wait for strive for the next version of his wife yeah so. yeah i know because you know that's coming you, yeah you know that's coming <laughs> so well and at this point at this point you know they have a they have a pattern they have a reputation to keep up they can't just give soul <laughs> <laughs> well wasn't um uh, uh justice also like this is like a copy or something ever uh well, once you get back into that part of the timeline it's it starts to be like when she was directly involved as a person like when she was alive i don't i don't remember the whole story but justice is a copy right like mentally a mental copy yeah i, I, I like think that. so yeah that's uh, i think that's, so that's crazy that's uh that's going you know a kingdom earth you know uh road <laughs> at, at this moment and uh that's when so, I started losing the the interest in the in the the story of the series. To be honest, it's a very smell the darkness arc of uh, <laughs> Guilty Gear. Well, but uh, there was a lot of uh, cool designs in this game because they they also designed you know trash mobs and things like that, and uh, they were each main character had um, troops that looked like him or were inspired by it and there's also the whole redesign of characters and that's a trend we are going to discuss i suppose in Ixod, but it's when ishiwatari started to have a very very heavy hand on details and uh, noise in his detail in his designs yeah that is it, it yeah yeah it is it's handled in a very specific way though it's it's mm. but it is there though you're you're, you're absolutely right about that it's it's still very Shiwatari uh, when you look at it, but uh, it's starting to get here yeah, noisy. The yeah, that's all. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think well that that's sort of a characteristic of the transition from two D to three uh, D. Uh, th mm. This is something I talk about a lot amongst my my, my friends and peers. Is a uh, you know like form uh, kind of follows function, right? So for a lot of sixteen bit eight bit games. Um, they, the the limits of the medium like necessitated like really simple designs and to get the most out of simple designs you you really streamline them right so mm -hmm. like when you know the ps1 the very first guilty gear like the screen was only 256 pixels tall i think it's like really low resolution and to fit like a, a little character on there you had to really think about like well what details actually matter right and then you just streamline it 
Um, even even with the X the X games, um, it's high res, but it's still like you got to draw everything. So even like with traditional animation, you don't want to overload the character and make it tedious to draw. And um, it just the, it 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 kind of hammers down like good uh, good habits, right? And then um, when you jump to 3D, you no longer have to draw it frame by frame. You can zoom in and out as much as you want. You, you can spend forever just tweaking the models. And uh, a lot of times, um, it's it, a lot of creators can't help but just go crazier with the details then. And so that's why I think in the last uh, two decades, you, you start seeing more and more like elaborate, detailed uh, character designs because the hardware could, could support it. That's a really good point, though. And I, and I feel like it... This is just like, you know, my interpretation of it is that I feel like when Ishiwatari designs a character, like there's so much going on in terms of the, of the moving parts that create the design in his head. And I feel like there were things that either he just didn't think to do or that he wanted to do that he felt like maybe it wasn't the right time for in terms of his collective designs. Because, I mean, if you look at his initial designs for soul, like not the sprites themselves, but just the drawings that he has, he's got a lot going on with them. Mm. And I feel like with, uh, exert and especially even strive, like there's more room for him to play with the creative freedom that I feel like he's always wanted, but never really had the hardware that could support it specifically in the way that he wanted to. So I yeah. feel like, uh, exert and strive or an exploration of that um, to up to a, to the highest degree. I mean, if you look at Potemkin, I mean, to me, Potemkin is like a muscular village, like in strive, like there's so much to look at on him, you know, like whenever I got a chance to play people that played Potemkin, I was like, oh my God, I just get to look at this character. I would never skip the cutscene. I'm like, I just want to look at all of the detail on this character. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like it's something where he he's happy that he can finally explore things that he's always wanted to. Yeah. Oh, and it's worth pointing out the very first Guilty Gear, the uh, earliest prototype of it, was pre-rendered 3D. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it has its roots in 3D, actually. So, well, I don't have a lot to say about this game, to be honest. it I don't think it was the game people were expecting, but uh, I suppose Ishiwatari had fun. I, it was, I think he was proud of the game because... When I one day I was in a tournament in France and he was invited and he was you know signing uh, autographs, and a guy came with his copy of uh, Overture, and Ishiwatari was so happy to see one <laughs> game because it was a fighting game tournament. So of course yeah. you know, but one of these guys came with this game and Ishiwatari was so happy to see the game. He signed it. He thanked the the, the guy. You know so. I think he really enjoyed, uh, you know, doing something different. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I just want to add. I actually quite like the the art uh, for um, Guilty Gear Two. Actually, like, uh, you know, usually when I talk about the jump to three D stuff being like over, like more detailed, like it, it can come across as over detailed. Um, but I, I don't think he really crossed that line, uh, Ishiwatari, with with this game. I think he's still. The characters, even when you zoom out, they 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 uh, make a good, strong first impression. Like they're not, mm -hmm. yeah, they're not like too busy. I think. It's actually it's actually a pretty good looking game for the time. It's just one of those things we talk about with how three D just doesn't age quite as well as two D. Um, but yeah, like it, it's a cohesive looking game. Like it doesn't, um, 
look bad or anything. It's just, it's very, like, I think after years of being trained to see the characters in a certain way, and especially with, um, I think uh, Soul had the biggest change to his design in this game uh, as well. So it's just kind of, I, th I think a lot of people just probably, to your point, didn't get what they expected. Um, yeah, and also just to, uh, again, provide some context, um, uh, this was, what, 2007? Yeah, right? 2007. around there, yeah. So, so 2D was cold and dead in the ground by then. <laughs> like, there were no new yes, 2D games. And even uh, the Guilty Gear games, like, they might add, like, oh, I, don't, I think they stopped adding new characters by, by this point, right? They were just refining gameplay mechanics and, and maybe adding some moves, new backgrounds. But there were no new sprites for, for years up to this point. Um, uh, no, yeah, they didn't. Yeah, it was just basically at this, at this point, Arxis was under the, you know, recycled sprite kind of, um, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so at that, to, to see Guilty Gear 2 in 3D, for a lot of diehard fans, it was, uh, it was kind of painful. Like, oh, no, like even Guilty Gear is going 3D. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, to back up what you were saying is, this isn't even like 97 when 3D was just starting. Like, we're, like as Richard said, it was, it was dead. So from a, from a context perspective, it actually would have been quite strange to come out with a 2D game. So it makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, and like I said, things like uh, MOBAs and action games had had already picked up quite a bit of steam. So I think fighters even then were waning to quite a bit uh, of a degree at this point. And just just quick aside, I, I, I won't go on a tangent because we could do like talk about this forever. But um, 2007 was also the year that Odin Sphere came out from Vanillaware and revived oh, 2D yeah. like single handedly <laughs> as as an artistic medium for games. I just throw that in there real quick, but up until then, um, yeah, there hadn't been any new uh, 2D fighters outside of handhelds for a while. Uh, Guilty Gear, um, you know, went 3D. And then the only other uh, uh, console fighting game they released that year was Battle Fantasia, which was yeah. also a full 3D game. We have to talk about this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's talk about it a little bit. I think, oh, really? man. Yeah, yeah. And that's <laughs> let's, basically... talk, let's, let's get into it. That's let's basically the game that allowed us to have a new fighting game boom from 2009 to 2016, I would say. That's the game that proved that you could do 2D type of fighting games in gameplay with 3D yes. models. And that's yes. not something mm -hmm. we are, you know, uh, inventing as historians and things like that. That's something that Yoshinori Ono, the producer of Street Fighter 4, said. He said, we were working on Street Fighter 3 Fort Strike, or thinking what? about it and uh, he saw Battle Fantasia and he was like okay so I can make Street Fighter 4 in 3D if, if Battle Fantasia will not have happened and uh, Street Fighter 4 will not have happened the, this way the way we knew actually and what's interesting also about this game is that it's the, um, a game from another director, director than uh, Ishiwatari and Mori, because I don't have the name of, of it, but it's also one of the few uh, games directed by a woman. And I hmm. think she left the industry after that. She, in an interview, oh. she said she had a very hard time uh, working in the industry. And so that I wanted to note this because it's uh, th that seems kind of important. It was way before, you know, we had all these talks uh, that are needed about uh, more, in more inclusive um, more inclusive game developers uh, community and things like that and, uh, and companies 
So unfortunately, I think she left. Yeah, she left Dark hmm. System Works. So that's it. Oh. That's. Damn. <laughs> Uh, that's sorry. sorry about the breaking. No, the no, it's, but it's important. It's important to, to mention that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, you, want, you want creators in the industry. She was Emiko Iwasaki. Emiko oh, Iwasaki. Okay. She was the art lead and writer as well, well much like Ishiwatari. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, she yeah, worked. One... On, uh, yeah. She left Arc System Works in 2011 to go to Singapore. And now she she works at uh, Gumi on mobile oh, okay. on mobile games. Okay. So, so she, she's, she's still in games. She's still in yeah. games. Yeah. Right, yeah. So uh, they also this is what, them going back to like Overture was only on consoles. This was also an arcade game, right? Yeah, it was an arcade game. Yeah, and it was the I think it we could say it was basically the the the, the well it I think it came out the same year as Blast Blue, so it's. We can't say, you know, that it's a prototype for Blast Blue or things like that. But I think they share the same engine. And uh, that's the moment where Arc System Works went from full 2D to 2D made with 3D, actually. Didn't, well, didn't, didn't Blaze Blue come out in uh, 2009? That's like two years, right? On console, on consoles, I think it was uh, it on 2009, but uh, I think it was in uh, on arcade. It was in 2008, the first Blast Blue. Okay. I may be, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. I think, I think you're right though. I think, I think it was like 2008. I think. I mean, he's right though. It's still, they're still very close together. But I yeah. thought this one came out first. Well, I mean, they were doing the. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's 2008. I can't really think who did it okay, first, okay. but. I feel like Blaze Blue did it first, but they were doing the the 3D models painted over. No, uh, no, it was Battle Fantasia. Battle Fantasia were in arc- it was an arcade in uh, in May 2000 in April 2007. Oh, okay. And Blaze Blue oh. came at the end of 2008. So yeah, I don't know much about the timeline. I, I mainly played this on uh, PS3. It's a really it's it's a really good looking game. It actually it still holds up really really well. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the graphics a little bit, um, Sean. Uh, this is something we both of us emphasize a lot when in our careers when we worked in early uh, 3D mobile games. Um, this game really lets the textures do most of the work. It doesn't rely on the real-time lighting, and uh, because of that, the the game has a painterly quality, which is standard now. Like if you look at MOBAs, a lot of a lot of new like mobile games, especially, um, they, you know, they're, 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 the lighting is very minimal. Sometimes they might be completely unlit. Um, that was not the norm at this time. In 2007, uh, people wanted to you know like show off their normal maps and like complex lighting and wanted to be as photoreal as possible. Uh, but this game was very happy having a painterly look that was almost like a throwback to a ps2 era but i think it's aged much better than most games uh, most 3D it, it definitely games it definitely era. feels like a throwback to ps2 era because like what you're, what you're talking about is yeah it, it almost uh i almost feel like a warm blanket to me because it reminds me so much of the work we did like looking at it yeah. another thing that's really nice about it is uh if y'all don't look up this game, but I recommend you do it. It's also one of those ones where it's got a bit of that. Um, it's not an anime style, but they don't like do. They don't shade to a lot of black. So the the textures are like the way that the lighting is done is it feels very soft, but in a, a really cohesive way. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but Rich, you know what I'm talking about. We're like uh, using a lot of like blue and like uh, mm-hmm. like 
highlighted browns and stuff rather than like there's not a whole lot of darkness except they and except when they want like a hard shadow uh so it makes it yeah. feel really friendly yeah it's got that kind of plein air like you know somebody did a watercolor painting outdoors kind of feeling to it yeah yeah and it, even though it's got like it's even got like 3d backgrounds but they all they remind me a little bit of like uh the xenogears aesthetic uh again the yeah. same thing where we're where you have a 3d engine where they're trying to establish like a a very uh friendly is not the right word i'd say like more of a uh pleasant kind of like welcoming uh like color profile it doesn't like it doesn't shade to a lot of black it uses a lot of exaggerated shapes um and stuff like that in order to to do what it's gonna do so that way the textures um can focus on very specific details uh rather than uh trying to actually convey texture so but by which i mean like uh so if you're doing something like i don't know wood or metal uh, an average, like, more advanced texture might try to make it look like that, but these are more concerned with just the color profile and having highlights in very specific places to indicate that it's metal or something like that. So, I don't know. It's, I think that's why it holds up really well, is it, it definitely doesn't rely on uh, any of the technology to do its work for it. Yep. It's totally style-driven. You know, style and just good fundamental techniques. Mm. Yeah. And then and the, the uh, animation. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go, go. Uh, so the I I think the the reason perhaps the biggest innovation of it was the way it handled animation. They mm -hmm. just animated it as if it was a two D fighter, because uh, up until then every time a fighting game went three D, they they made it feel very three D, right? Like there, the animations yeah. would just take longer. There'd be more startup. Yes. Everything would feel meaty. Everything was like really tweened. Sometimes, a lot of times they would do motion capture just because they could. Yep. Uh, this game wasn't afraid to just have really strong pose-to-pose -pose animation that was really snappy. And um, it just felt good. It was really responsive. Like, I, it, Yeah, it was it one was of the, the things first... that I really enjoyed about yeah. the game was that it gave me hope that the snap and dynamism of 2D animation can live on in 3D. We just need to figure out how to do it. Like, yes. that, that was the... Because that was a big concern for me. was that, you know, the things that I liked, there was a reason why uh, 2D animation worked for fighting games the way that it does in terms of movement and just feel, not even on a competitive level, just on presentation alone. Um, so, you know, when you saw games being moved in the 3D, it's like, normal attacks felt like cutscenes, like they just never ended you know and <laughs> it's yeah. it's like you know you get to a point where you're like man like i something needs to happen here and i'm like i know it sounds weird to say but you know we need to look back on 2d animation and say well sometimes less is more we just need to figure out how and i mean at the time like rigging mm. something like that just seemed uh not impossible but it's just something people weren't thinking about and with this game seeing this attempt and not just being an attempt but being executed well was something that gave me a lot of hope made me very happy i think and we talked also, about yeah. okay, no, go ahead no i wanted to say that it's the first for Demox because it's uh, like the the name suggests it's an heroic fantasy setting so yeah. that's that's super different from coming from Demox. you know i remember being shocked by watson the the rabbit he has a you know a tall yeah. <laughs> a very tall uh, ma ma the the Mickey Mouse hat of uh, you know a wizard hat of Mickey Mouse except that since he's a rabbit <laughs> it's uh, inverted with uh, two uh, two top hats for both his ears that's amazing <laughs> I love it yeah. yeah 
Uh, I was going to add, a, in terms of talking about the, the 3D snappiness that uh, we were just talking about, I think I've said it before, but the I think the, the problem that ended up happening was that a lot, a lot of uh, studios went more toward making things look good, and they thought that was a stand-in for feel. But I think we're talking about this is when you don't have res- like responsive snappiness, like when animation takes too long to execute, it kind of feels like you're giving suggestions to the characters rather than controlling them. And that's like a surefire way to pull someone's immersion because then, like, if you don't feel like you're controlling the game, then you may as well be at a movie to some degree, right? So um, I think that's something that they understood pretty well, and it's why the Guilty Games and most of the Arxis games have always felt really, really uh, responsive and snappy is because they prioritize the speed and the responsiveness. When people say something has responsive controls, like, um, it's always interesting because, you know, most systems don't have any difference in the way they respond. It's it's and usually most engines have a a millisecond response rate in terms of an input to registering it. It's absolutely how the game makes you feel uh, when it registers the response and what it looks like that you did with it. So uh, it's an interesting push and pull that I think 3D games really stumbled on first. I mean, I think they've gotten much better about it now, but it's a it's a pretty subtle detail that really impacts a lot of games, not just fighting games. What's Um, surprising is that Capcom actually did it well with you know devil may cry and, and games like that it, it felt responsive but they could not figure it out themselves uh into a fighting game uh, mold so that's surprising you know i was just thinking uh richmond this game also reminds me a lot of the final fantasy tactics artwork um, <laughs> i'm sure that was an influence yeah uh i don't know if any of the artists work on it but i it was one of those things where i was looking at it and i was like something Something feels familiar there, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Uh, and anyway, th- that was just a uh, thought I had in terms of because we talk. We've I think uh, we've talked at length about Final Fantasy Tactics on this podcast. We talked a lot about the the kind of like the hand done feel of stuff, uh, the way that they they were able to make that feel. I feel like this game uh, really recalls a lot of uh, that thoughtfulness. Um, yeah, I, I think. But in our past podcast, we talked about um, sort of the Square's signature style di- diverging around this time period. You know, so you have the Nomura, uh, the modern Nomura style. He's actually really versatile, but what people associate with him, you know, more like a, a beautiful Bishonen characters and uh, more like fashionable looking characters and more modern. And then uh, the Yoshida carrying on Amano's t- design ethos, where it's more like. Uh, you know, more, more, more grounded in, in history. Um, and uh, it, it's very fantastical, but it has the, the, the feeling of being a little more practical. And I think um, Battle Fantasia is uh, kind of more, more in that direction of the Yoshida style. Um, mm, it's still, you yes. know, like pretty clear medieval uh, fantasy. Uh, it almost feels like, uh, like Brian Frow stuff, like, like uh, the, the Labyrinth, like old Jim Henson workshop stuff. It's got that influence oh, in there. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Final Fantasy, was Crystal Chronicles around this time, too? I, I think no, that had a similar... It was way before, I think it was 2003, Crystal Chronicles. It was in, in, on the GameCube, so yeah. since the Wii came out oh, in right, 2005, right, right. I think it was way, way before. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that had a similar feeling, aesthetically. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to drop one more game. We were talking about how uh, this game kicked off the 2.5D uh, boom that we're currently in, uh, influenced Street Fighter uh, uh, 4 directly. Um, I would say this game actually has a precursor in the PS1 era called Slap Happy Rhythm Busters. Do you guys ever 
Slap Happy Rhythm Busters. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> it is a pretty obscure PS1 one-on-one fighting game by Polygon Magic. Oh. Uh, came at one of the last generation PS1 games. Came out in the year 2000. Um, the, I think it's the only true cel-shaded PS1 oh, wow. game. Because wow. it, it, it's, it's, it's a beautiful game. And it animates like a 2D fighter. Uh, it, it's really snappy. Um, and it, it, the controls are really responsive. And it, it's a really cool game, actually. Um, if you look up videos of it on YouTube, you'll see it running on an emulator in high res. And it, it's aged super well. Like It's, it's one of the best looking, most stylish uh, PS1 games. I wonder if that was an influence. Like I, I, they, someone must have played it and was like, you know what? Like we could take this farther. Someone on that team. Slap um, happy. Wow! It looks even even in tone, it looks like a precursor to Jet Set Radio. I was just going to say this looks like Jet Set Radio, the fighting game. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's yeah. very pop and things like that. So that's uh, was that's Jet funny. Set Radio. I think that was also the year two thousand. Yeah, it I was two thousand. Yeah. yeah, so it was just like co-evolution, you know, kind of like Fatal Fury and Street Fighter 2, like d- different teams thought of like the same thing at the same time. It's really you know, fascinating. This also has kind of like a, a Mega Man Legends kind of feel to it as well. Yes, um, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, with the um, the unlit, uh, you know, textures, it has a nice cartoony look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it has a lot of the the solid lines, especially in like the backgrounds, uh, that make it feel a lot like Mega Man. Um, yeah. Again, like not using a lot of black, using a lot of like gray gray lines and uh, like really soft colors to outline things, so it it, it softens the whole appearance. Yeah, because you don't want high contrast uh, backgrounds in a fighting game. You don't want your attention drawn away from uh, the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I cool. think that's. All in games between well, actually, they did a lot of you know uh, non-mainline characters uh, games. Sorry, like I think when they did Izuka, it was the the seventieth game of the Guilty Gear series. If you count all the the ports and the, all the, the, oh the games, yeah, that yeah. There, there are so 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 many. I think there are at least twenty Guilty Gear games if you count them all. So. Wow. Um, a lot happened, yeah. But after that, I think they didn't do anything around Guilty Gear because they were mostly focusing on Blaze Blue, and Blaze Blue mm. was was a, a huge success for them. It was at the top of the arcade uh, charts uh, for a long time, for many, many, many years. And uh, a thing that we may that may be important, I don't know, is how they changed hardware. To, uh, during that time because we talked about you know the Naomi that was the, the arcade board that uh, where Guilty Gear was uh, Guilty Gear X and XX were uh, made on but around 2008 there was the um, the, the ah I'm going to find it basically hardware for arcade became Windows XP <laughs> XP and uh, ah. with, uh, yeah, with Intel, you know, uh, Intel processors and uh, AMD, AMD um, graphic cards and things like that. And a thing uh, that that became very hard for Arc System Works at this time was piracy in arcades. Something that they didn't have to deal with before, 
but actually what happened is that um, the, the, the most popular hardware that powered BlastBlue, Street Fighter 4, and things like that, it was just a PC. And uh, the game that, you, that was on it was just a .exe. Uh, oh yeah, the the Tato Type X had yes, the .NET infrastructure on the back of it. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. I, I remember hearing about this now. You yeah. you had to use like Visual Studio to work with it, which is not comfortable for a lot of developers. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened is that so the games were actually delivered on hard drives, like encrypted hard drives. And so each time someone found out to decrypt it, you could have. Uh, it was just a matter of cloning the hard drive. And so oh Arc started to have a lot of problems with that and um, because they were selling, you know, copies of the hard drives. And I think sometimes to, to be, uh, I think sometimes they, for Blaze Blue Continuum Shift, they sold like 3,000 copies. And just to give some context to, uh, to the listeners, the game, the, the, this hard drive, hard drive was sold like 3,000 dollars or euros i don't remember exactly but it was super expensive so the fact that Mm. people could clone this became something very very problematic for them and so they had to uh to change how they were delivering games and all the arcades had to change and that's why the the nesica live uh, system came and just to sum it up it's basically the steam of arcade like you, you have a subscription, you have a server, you connect your, your arcade cables with, um, uh, with Ethernet uh, cables, something like that. And this way, yeah. each player who comes can choose from the games that are located on the server that the arcade um, bought. And so they started to, make, to, to move to this delivery system. And uh, it changed a lot how they um, how they handled the games because we we already said that they did like five versions of uh, Guilty Gear XX, but I think they did like eight or nine versions of Blaze Blue. Blaze Blue. And oh, the, the reason, really? yeah, yeah. There's like there's like Calamity Trigger, Continuum Shift, Continuum Shift Extend, Central Fiction, Chrono Fantasma, Chrono Fantasma Extend, Central Fiction, Central Fiction Two. So that's seven games. I think Holy moly. something like that, and um, it actually made. They actually had a lot of problems with this, with the, with the, um, with this system, because they had a lot of trouble finding partners to publish their games in the United States and in Europe, because each time they will do a game, there were another version coming, and so yep. for publisher and editors, it was super complicated to sell these games because they were certain that some people will be bored by the never-ending new version of the game. But in arcade, it made sense because when they went to Nesica, one of the big, 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 big differences is that the credit was fixed by the Nesica system. So it meant that if you wanted to have a a 50 yen uh, credit, it was not possible. It was as a 100 yen credit and on this 100 yen there was a split between the Nesica platform the arcade owner and arc system works so it was it made sense oh. for them to continue making a lot of versions of blast of blast blue in arcade because it kept people coming and 
putting new coins. It was not a matter of you sell, you know, 3,000 copies of a 3,000 uh, game. You had to uh, deliver a constant flux of uh, novelty. And that's why we had a lot of episodes of Blast Blue. Oh, that makes perfect sense now. I, I didn't know they could do a revenue split like per session. <laughs> yeah, it's per session. That's, a cr that's crazy when you think about it, but that's, yeah. that's what happened. And so uh, they, um, they um, I think at this, at this moment too, there was the fusion between Sega and Sami that we all forgot about, but it's Sega Sami, it's a Sega Sami holding. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah. what is interesting is that for Ixod, they actually didn't went for Nessica, which is a tight, which uh, is Taito, and Taito belongs to Square Enix, if I remember correctly. So basically, they went back to Sega Sami for Ixod later because Sega and Sami came up with a similar system where the, there's a split. Uh, for each uh, 100 yen coin, uh, coin sorry, uh, put into arcade, put into the arcade game. So that's it for the business model. <laughs> that was a long <laughs> parenthesis. Sorry. Oh, that's, that's cool. fascinating for me. That that clarifies a lot of um, the decisions behind how these things evolved. Because I, I, yeah, I always wondered. I was like, why are there so many versions of? <laughs> blaze blue <laughs> like there's more blaze blues than there are like street fighter 2s well it's always it's always interesting because you would think that uh the influence of arcades would have waned at this point in terms of the development aspect or the the mm -hmm. model but it sounds like uh, even into xard the the business model into arcades still heavily influenced uh arxis mm. and that's yeah. a big problem for them because even right now uh, except for maybe Blaze Blue um, uh, Cross Tag Battle, which is their, I will say, their last uh, recent game, they embraced a um, uh, game as a service attitude with it. It's, it mm. means that you, you buy the basic game and you buy add ons after that, like add ons of characters. But at this time, what was very complicated is that each time a new game came out on consoles, the community was split between people updating and not updating. And online, yep. each time a new game came, you lost players online. And so they only started to address this with Bezlu Cross Tag Battle, and it came out, I think, in 2018. So they were, and they are, very late on the game as a game as a service trend, and that explains also why uh, Guilty Gear Xrd uh, maybe didn't work as much as they hoped because they made three versions of the game. None of them are retro have, have retro compatibility, and uh, just go and buy an Xrd game today. You will have no idea what you have to buy because. Depending of if you bought the first one, second one, mm -hmm. if you have the second one, there's an update pack, but there's also DLC characters that are not into the update pack. And that's one of the main problems with Arc System Works is that they don't know how to sell games. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the main, main, main problems. That's Yeah, incredible. I mean, that's one of the issues I had when I was getting back into... You know, after Exert, I played Revelator, and then, you know, Rev2 came out, and I didn't pick it up right away. And then, you know, I said, okay, well, I have Revelator. So then I went into the PlayStation Store, and it was just like, what do I do to get this game? Like, I had to really, like, cherry pick what I was buying and downloading so that I actually had the right thing, because it, 
because you would think that like exerted revelator would be like i guess like a a foundational piece and then you could just download or buy like the add-ons in that particular way but it doesn't really work that way it really is like you're buying two separate games well and and uh even though we we jumped ahead to talk about exerted business model this isn't like years ago this is like 2017 so we're yeah, at that point crazy. squarely in the point where this is not acceptable from a consumer perspective yeah the charge paid dlc for basically an upgrade to the game mm -mm, yeah so that's one of the reason why uh, for strive they they made a deal with uh, bandai namco to distribute the game for example in europe and some parts of asia it's because they they finally admitted that they, they don't <laughs> know how to sell a game properly but they they also tried a lot of things like uh, for example around 2011 2012 they tried opening uh, offices in europe and uh, it didn't end uh, well because it closed like two years later and uh, in the meantime they also tried to create a, a u.s branch and uh, they had a lot a lot of difficulties around that time but what worked and uh, that that maybe we, we maybe go a, a bit uh, too soon on it but what changed actually our system works is guilty gear excel the 3d style basically so uh so that that prop that made the company became something way bigger than what it was. It was b before Guitar Gear excelled and after, and we can say it before Dragon Ball Fighter Z. It was still, you know, a small company. They did in the meantime around Blaze Blue. They also did the the Persona 4 Arena uh, series, and the Persona 4 Arena. They also had problems with Atlas because they made the first game. After that, they made the second game, and by contract, you know, they didn't have the right to put more than one patch of the game or something like that, or add something to to the game, and uh, they messed up <laughs> and introduced a new balance, I think, in the game and DLC colors, and it was not in contract, so they had Ooh. to uh, stop selling them. But it also meant that this balance change in Arc System Works uh, in, uh, in Persona 4 Arena, the second episode. The, the, the last balance patch is not the same in the United States and Europe and in Japan. Because in wow. Japan, they published it. And then Atlus came and said, what the hell are you doing? You're not supposed to do this. So they, alt they altered everything. And this patch never came out in the United States and Europe. So when you are playing Persona 4 Arena today on your uh, PAL or US version, you're not playing the same game as the Japanese players are, are playing. So oh, there's a lot gosh. of consumer, you know, missteps with Arc System Works around uh, from 2009, 2010 to today. And uh, it explains a lot why most of their games were not as, as successful as they should have been. I was going to add, I think uh, what also, uh, that's, a, that's a, Thomas, that's a really good history. I didn't know a lot of that. It also kind of explains uh, their relationship now with Bandai Namco, because I believe the Dragon Ball game they did is the fastest selling Dragon Ball title ever. Yeah, so but... I, think, I think they were probably like, oh, this is probably someone who knows how to sell a game. Yeah. And uh, Kuroki, which is uh, the, the producer... Uh, also a woman at Bandai Namco, the producer of Dragon Ball. They, they started working uh, with Arc System Works on a 3DS Dragon Ball game that's called uh, Butoden, I think. 
and uh, Dragon Ball Bitonen, and it's a 2D yeah. fighting game actually with assist and uh, and sprites, something like that. It's and it beautiful. was yeah, and it was yeah. quite a fun Great game from uh, from what I heard. So you know, it it didn't happen in a single time Dragon Ball Fighter Z, mm. but uh, really the the foundation for it is actually really uh, Guilty Gear excelled, and I think the first trailer, like I, I just watched it. Again, it, it has like more than one million views, which is unprecedented, you know, for Guilty Gear and a, a, a trailer by, by Arc System Works. So, yeah. Mm. But that's the story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> and they also briefly did a One Piece fighting game too, right? But yeah. it wasn't on a major console or a major or arcade, right? Yeah, they, they were doing a lot of licensed uh, um, handheld uh, fighters. Yeah, we could probably do an entire podcast on all of uh, Arxis's, um forays into into portable machines. They have a lot of really weird one-off titles that uh, probably no one's ever heard of that were on like uh, 3DS and uh, DS and Advance and stuff like that. Wonder Swan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that takes yeah. me back hearing that. Jeez. <laughs> But yeah, well, the the thing, the reason why they are doing so much client work is that, of course, Bless Blue was a success, but maybe not enough. And also, the that was one of the problems that uh, that um, Minoru Kiduka, the president of Arc System Works, had, is that um, basically the company works like this. Kiduka says we need to make money. And he says, so please make this or this something successful, go on the tram or things like that. And Ishiwatari or Mori or Emika or anyone doesn't listen to him and do what, does whatever <laughs> they want. So he has to deal with them. And fortunately, they are talented people, so they make su successful games. But it's, it's having all your eggs inside one basket, you know. Mm -hmm. And so... One one of the things that does, that's the reason why there are so many games by Arc System Works we never never heard about. Like uh, I don't know, they, they made a game that's named Chase called Investigation: Distant Memories on Nintendo 3DS. I don't even know what is it, you know, or Inferno Climber or One Piece Great Pirate Colosseum. You know? <laughs> and uh, the reason is because they could not have survived without client works and uh, small games like this. I didn't even know about the One Piece game until today. Like, <laughs> honestly, uh, well, they, they, really also, they also have a uh, an adventure franchise called Jake Hunter that's like got a cult following as well. <laughs> but um, conversation for a different time. That's the one with I think Katsuya Tirada did the art for some of those, and I think those games actually go way back. Uh, yeah, back to the eighties uh, for the uh, Famicom Disk System. Um, so I think that's a franchise that they somehow picked up the rights to uh, much further down the road. Yeah. Yeah, they still consistently make uh, Jake Hunter games and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think it's it's a good point that Thomas brings up about how like you see all their Guilty Gear success and Blaze Blue success. That's what they're known for. But you know, to run a successful game studio, you need like a a kind of a heartbeat of actual revenue <laughs> mm -hmm. in between well, yeah, like years of producing these great games. They've made over a hundred games as a company. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Everyone but just what, thinks of those two series, but yeah. What's funny is that you know you, we see a lot of um, of companies in Japan like Dimps or uh, Platinum Games, for example, mm. that's doing uh, client work, and mm -hmm. all they want is create their own IP. 
you know, mm. and uh, they want to have something that will make them more than um, a four-hour studio, which they are, they are great at. You know, for if you if we take Platinum for example, they have uh, they made Bayonetta, which didn't work that much, but it's uh, it's still an iconic character. They made games like uh, Nier Automata and all sorts of games, but they are still, you know, trying to have this one IP that will be a huge success for them. And so maybe they might reduce, reduce the, the, the client's work. And Arc System Works is actually in the opposite side. They had a lot of client work, but not a lot of client work that people could see. For, for Platinum, they, they do Nier Automata and it's a surprise hit uh, for three or four millions, you know, copies sold. But for Arc System Works, most of the clients' work they do, nobody noticed it, except maybe for Persona 4 Arena and uh, Fist of the North Star and Bazaar. And even Fist of the North Star and Bazaar are somehow, you know, niche, very niche game from the 2000s. So, yeah. They are, yeah, they, they lacked, you know, uh, uh, a position where people were will call them and and say we need you because only you can do it and uh, in a in a more um, premium way, you know. And that's what happened after all uh, after Xerdon uh, with uh, Dragon Ball. And maybe a new Persona Arena game. We don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hope. Yeah. I I feel like five is coming. I, there's, I, I think, and if five isn't coming, then, you know, just, I don't know. Like, I, I, I feel like that would be at least my dream, like to have a five arena. No, oh, the, the, um, the, the copyright thing has already been done like two years ago. Oh, they, that's just because they're smart, though. Yeah, they're, they're all, I yeah. think they're working on it. It's just that Dragon Ball has so much, had so much success that they could not, you know... Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, a... Guilty Gear Strive took too cow. much time to be done, and Dragon Ball had too much success, and after that, Psy Games came and, and probably write the most incredible check <laughs> they ever saw at the company. Yeah. <laughs> so they, 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 they postponed the Persona 5 Arena for this reason, I suppose. If the game still happens, yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, well, that's all context I can give you about you know this dark period for Guilty Gear. I don't, uh, I don't <laughs> think I have anything else to. No, to that's great. That's um, say about the that, Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad they stayed afloat for so long. You know, I, I bet like their 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 CEO's blood pressure must have been through the roof <laughs> trying to <laughs> wrangle this team. Um, well, when just you to... when you have to do game for the DSiWare platform, it's that you really need money. <laughs> I think yeah. the I, I know I'm actually I find it a very optimistic lesson. Like it's just kind of the the thing that I think people see uh, studios and they just see their success and they don't realize that like sometimes a failure in rough times is part of the path. And like I don't know, like most companies or people that I'm aware of, like there's no successful company that you're aware of that hasn't gone through a rough patch. Like no one just, oh, yeah. no one just, no one just um, instantly, uh, you know, manifests success. It takes a long road, and it's not always, it's not always easy to maintain it. So I think it's a, I think underneath it all, it's an inspiring story that they're they're still going strong, and they're uh, they have some they have some of their most successful games uh, in the last few years. Yeah, this is true. Financially. Oh my God, they did a sports game for Wii. Like you know, you remember on the NES. 
on the first Famicom, there was like, you know, golf and uh, I don't know, like uh, racing or tennis, you know, they did a, a series of games like that, like family grand tennis, family card games, family car <laughs> racing, family yeah. mini golf, family pirate party, family glide, okay, yeah. family table tennis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, they put out so many games no one's ever heard of. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the games we heard most about them is that maybe you remember the, the, the manga Nura, Nura Rise of the Yokai Clan. I think they did a fighting game on this too for Konami around 2011 too. And they also did the Art Corps uprising. That's right. We forgot about it, but that's one of the few that came out of the pile, which was a, a new a new take on Contra with an issue Contra with Ishiratari, Ishiwatari, sorry, soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was 2011. That yeah, and, like and a really nice. Game. Yeah. Mm. The cool. great, uh, beautiful hand-drawn sprites too. Yeah. Oh my god. And the the main characters kind of look like Sol and uh, Amelia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's um let let's let's uh, end it here for today, and then I think this really really sets the stage for uh, Exerd for our, our our next talk. Right. Oh, we that's can gonna be great. Just dive right into that. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys again, once again, for taking time out of your schedule to join us on this podcast. Thank you to oh, of course. the speakers. Yeah, and then uh, thank you for everyone for for listening. Hopefully, this has been an entertaining couple of couple of meandering hours going through. Uh, I guess this was supposed to be the history of uh, Guilty Gear, but really, it's turned into the history of Arc System Works, and I, I think it's a better podcast for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Please, you know, just th this is what we're all about, right? This, this is what the Art Eater podcast is about. We don't chase after whatever topic is trending. We just sit down and dig deep into something we're passionate about and just see where it takes us. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, tune, tune in next time. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about Zerd. And until then, uh, stay, stay safe, everyone. Yep. <laughs>